and welcome to the Climate Minute, your source for insight and perspective on global warming news. My name is Ted McIntyre, and this show is for the end of December 2023 or the beginning of January 2024, in around that New Year's holiday. So, well, it turns out that this is an appropriate, our topic today is an appropriate one for a couple of reasons. Massachusetts has had a long and proud history of being a climate leader. If you dial all the way back to the year 2008, which seems like an enormously long time ago, right? 16 years, pretty much. Massachusetts passed a raft of bills, climate-related bills. One of them you may have heard of is the Global Warming Solutions Act. Another bill that was passed in 2008 was something called the Green Communities Act. The Green Communities Act was an attempt to help the towns of Massachusetts become greener, literally, to, to, to become more energy efficient. And the way it worked was that towns would apply for to become a green community. There was a certain set of criteria that you had to fulfill to become a green community. But once you became a green community, you were then eligible for funding from the state to do even more to do all the good green stuff that you would, would want to do. So the Green Communities Act facilitated a lot of work. The Green Communities Act, one of the things the Green Community Act called on towns to do was to adopt something called the Stretch Building Code, which is, as you may know, as a climate, if you think much about climate, you pretty quickly get to the idea that the building code by which new buildings are constructed is very important for energy efficiency. Right. And in 2008, there was something called the stretch code, which tried to make buildings more efficient. And in order to become a green community, one of the criteria was that your town adopt this stretch building code for new buildings. Fine, fine. Well, it turns out now, 16 years later, I just checked on the uh, mass government website, 291 of the 350 communities in Massachusetts have become green communities. That is to say, they have all adopted that stretch code, among other things. And the sun still rises in the morning, and life goes on, and buildings that we're constructing in those communities are better. Great, great. Now, fast forward to 2023, 2022. A new bill get passed by our um, legislature to essentially rethink the Green Communities Act and talk about climate leadership communities. That's to say, another set of criteria to help towns do the right thing. If you if you do the things to qualify, you then get money from the state to do even more good things. And in this case, uh, the climate leadership communities is a great idea, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It turns out that we have uh, uh, we have with us our friend and neighbor Steve Sherlock of Franklin Matters. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and thank you for the opportunity to join on this important topic. And our our guest today, who knows more about this than uh, the average bear, to date myself, is, uh, uh, is a guy named Kobe Frangillo, who is a returning town councilor in the town of Franklin. So let me just tell you, the town of Franklin is a community of 50,000, 60,000 uh, southwest of Boston is bigger than that, Steve. What are we? Oh, less. Thirty-five thousand. Thirty-five thousand. Okay, thirty-five thousand out here on the uh, on four ninety-five southwest of of Boston. 
right? And it is a town that is a green community. And Kobe Frangillo, our guest, let me get back to that point. Kobe Frangillo is a town councilor. He's interested in thinking about the Climate Leadership Communities Act and what the town of Franklin can do about it. And so, welcome, Kobe. That was an incredibly long-winded way to introduce you. I'm sorry. Welcome, Kobe. How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. That's great. So, as I say, that was that was probably more than you needed to hear. But did I get more or less the history of the Green Community Act and the uh, climate leadership community thing correct? I mean, what 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 should people in Franklin and maybe people around the state what should they know about the climate leadership climate leader communities program? No, I, I think you nailed it. Right. So we built out in two thousand eight. We built out a, a green communities um, designation, and by now. Uh, over 80% of communities are in it, which means they're all fighting for the same uh, grant money. And uh, it's no longer really designating the, you know, and, and incentivizing communities to go above and beyond. They're, they're pretty base level stuff. And so the, the state recognized this and just this fall, you know, after some uh, discussion, released the new sort of uh, Green Communities Plus, what they're calling uh, Climate Leader Communities, which just has uh, more aggressive uh, actions that um, a municipality can take and thus um, more grant opportunities that they can um, you know, be eligible for. And so as a, as a town councilor, this is a great opportunity, you know, as a town councilor and, and a climate advocate and someone who... who um, cares about um, making sure that our municipality is doing its part um, to you know, mitigate the climate crisis. Uh, having a system that, you know, it's one thing to, you know, sit back and think about uh, opportunities to be better, um, but it's a lot easier when there's a, a program and a list of criteria that says, hey, um, not only uh, are these steps that you could take, but we're going to reward you um, if you take them all. And so that's why it's an exciting opportunity. Uh, for me and Franklin, as we, you know, we just started, as many other communities did, we just started our, our two-year session. Um, and at the beginning of our two-year session, everyone does it a little bit differently, but Franklin lays out its goals um, for the two years. And so in that conversation, we get to have uh, a whole bunch of thoughts about what can we get done? What should we uh, be getting done? And two years ago, um I advocated for language and successfully included language um, about Franklin doing its part in um, reaching the net zero uh, goals by 2050. Um, but this time around, now we have a set of lists, you know, a, a list of things um, that we can actually, you know, in, in uh, tangible uh, action steps uh, that we can take and, you know, a, a benefit that I can point to um, mm-hmm. to encourage my, my colleagues. So that's what's exciting about this opportunity. That's why we're thinking about uh, the climate leader communities. Individually, the action items are worthwhile. And I think, and I have been advocating and, and will continue to advocate that Franklin do any one or all of them. Um, but it's particularly nice to have um, a, a, a list of um, what they have is a list of six uh, action items that a municipality can take. Uh, it, it just, just, to be, just to be clear, it, it, what we're saying is there's a list of actions the town can take. Right, and those are low to moderate lift. 
right? But it basically shows your commitment. And once you've satisfied those criteria, then you are now eligible for even more money to do more things. Isn't that how it works, right? Exactly. It. Yep. And and so what what are the you know can you give a flavor of what the town needs to do in order to qualify, right? What what is the the threshold, shall we say, in order to get in the game? Yeah, so six things and we can we can break them down. So the first one is just be a good be a green community in good standing. So uh, all the things that make someone a good uh, green community, um, you know, make sure that you're continuing to uphold those. And Franklin is we've been since 2018 again as have 291. Uh, but we've been a green community. Franklin's been a green community since 2018, you say? 2018, yeah. And, and many towns and many of the people listening to the show are already in green communities, so they already have that standing. They've satisfied one of the criteria, in a sense, right? Yeah. Most most are. And, and so, eighty again, over 80% of communities. But even then, you know, if you're talking about population, I'd say it, it's got to be well over, you know, 95% of the Massachusetts residents mm-hmm. live with inside a, a green community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which again means that we're splitting our, our grants, uh, <laughs> our people and, and, you know, that just, that just doesn't uh, go quite as far. Okay. So that's one, be a, be a, a green community, good standing. Second one is have a local body, uh, that ad- advises the municipality on clean energy or climate initiatives. So a lot of communities have this, they might call it a sustainability committee, uh, an energy committee, some um, advisory body officially uh, designated, um, typically of volunteers in town that are often appointed um, by the city council, town council, town manager, however your system works, um, that focuses specifically on energy and sustainability. Uh, Mm -hmm. Franklin actually does not have this. And and this would be among uh, the list of things that I've advocated for uh, before it is great that like it's you know it's on this checklist of, mm-hmm. um, of, yeah, of think, for the listeners there's you you franklin touches on this indirectly in at least two ways certainly some of the work on the economic development subcommittee kind of yeah. covers some of these and then the master plan committee w- whose work is underway has both uh, has a sustainability subcommittee option as well um so they're doing some work on that but yeah, in my reporting, we don't have that separate, standalone, totally focused body on this yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We also, you know, our Conservation Commission uh, has done a good amount. Um, they put together uh, a hazard mitigation plan, which is really a, a climate uh, resiliency plan. Um, and, you know, it, it, Franklin has done a lot um, on the, the climate front and, and to reduce our, our uh, carbon footprint. We just haven't had a body specifically tasked with with looking at this. But the uh, first step to getting there is to identify that we need one, right? So that what I you're saying so. is that's where mm-hmm. you begin, right? We talk yeah. about it and say this is okay, cool. So that's number two. Uh-huh. Uh, and and uh, again, if you're if you're listening outside of Franklin, there's a there's a decent chance that you are in a community that already has that. So that that's you know as you talk about low to moderate lifts, I, I would I would put that in in the low. Um, the third is. Commit to eliminate on-site fossil fuel use by 2050 in municipal buildings and operation. Uh, so, yeah, within your municipal, I mean, in theory, the entire state uh, should be um, eliminating on-site fossil fuel use by uh, 2050. And there's going to be increasing 
uh, opportunities and we're building out an ecosystem um, that makes that more, you know, increasingly cost competitive. And we're building out a workforce to, that knows how to do this and um, industry standards and, and all of that. So um, is hey, this is uh, an easy lift to do immediately? Not necessarily because uh, buildings last a certain amount of time and, and right. um, it could be a lot of capital uh, expenses. But the earlier that you commit to doing this, that means that when it comes time to be to do major renovations or uh, rebuilding of municipal buildings, we've already committed that we're going to do that with zero uh, fossil fuel use. Then, yeah, just to re- repeat what you're saying is like the next time the town builds a school or fire station, we would be committing to make that a um, no fossil fuel building. And over the course of the next two decades, essentially get to the point where none of the buildings in town require uh, require fossil fuels, right? Yeah. And and most often, you know, if you're a, an educated listener on the climate front, most often that means that we're talking about heating systems. So uh, how do we heat buildings without burning mm-hmm. uh, fossil fuels? And there are few opportunities um, to burn non-carbon emitting fuels or um, use the heat from the ground or the heat from air uh, and you know various technologies that allow us to heat without the use of fossil fuels and in theory that'll only get easier as we get closer to 2050. Yeah and specifically again from a Franklin perspective uh, there is in fact a police building or police station building committee that is still looking at an opportunity to replace our existing police station. Uh, they're in the process of doing a uh, pro- uh, project manager, owner project manager is their next piece. And then that uh, that step will then set them through probably over the next, I think the most recent was like two to four years to craft a proposal, work through all the details, et cetera. So from what I understand, this would be the first of the significant opportunities to certainly do so. There may be other, if you will, relatively minor opportunities in some of the existing buildings where the renovation would be potentially, but this one would be a key significant step. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's a great example. And, and, you know, again, without even committing to this, why would we build a, you know, a police station without, uh, that's, you know, relies on fossil fuels if we plan for it to be, uh, in existence, you know, well beyond 2050. Um, so a lot of this is just about is about thinking ahead. Um, but you know, I was going to say, I think, think part of the that, sorry, Kobe, go ahead. Just that just... you know, if you're if you're uh, if this makes you nervous, um, you know that this is one that that we can you know look into, study the cost impacts, and you know, and decide if if it's something that we could commit to, but. What I was what I was breaking in to say, sorry for interrupting, but I mean it's like it is the mindset, the the twenty to thirty year mindset that we need, right? Yeah. When we talk about climate, it's like because it's hard to change these things, but if you have the sort of twenty fifty goal and say we start now to something that's going to be, you know, much later, uh, that's you know they talk about planting a tree that you're not going to see flower, right? It, it, that's what the kind of stuff that we have to do. Yeah, and you know, if if we need the entire uh, you know building stock or ninety five ninety nine percent of the building stock to be uh, fossil fuel free by uh, twenty fifty, then certainly it doesn't make sense uh, to build any um, new that that are reliant on on fossil fuels. That's just going to come 
with um, costs later on to transition. And the cost of fossil fuels will be increasingly expensive as um, you know demand shrinks. Uh, so yeah, being being proactive. You know, the, the study that we come back to um, at the state level is the one that said eighty percent of um, the Greater Boston buildings um, in twenty fifty have already been built. Uh, and oh, really? Why why further add to uh, that list? Uh, so those are three. Uh, so right now we got green community. We got a local body. We've got eliminating on-site fossil fuel use in your municipal buildings by uh, 2050. The fourth one is to create a municipal decarbonization roadmap. Uh, this is just, you know, how let's create a plan. Let's put money, create a plan. How do we get to uh, decarbonizing um, our entire uh, municipality and, you know, across transportation, across waste? Um, across our building use, uh, there are a lot of a lot of grant opportunities to do this. A lot of experts uh, prepared to help, um, and a lot of templates and tools and examples uh, that already exist. The Metropolitan Area Planning Council uh, has put together um, a municipal decarbonization roadmap um, that's pretty easy to follow. You can do it on your own, um, or there are many grants, and they'll come in and, and help you. Uh, Kobe, can you can you? My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that that when we start to talk about decarbonization, that's slightly different. I mean, it, it, these are sort of ambiguous uh, um, categories because in the past, again, correct me if I'm wrong, the Green Communities Act was focused on improving efficiency of the use of fossil fuels. Right. And so that you're finding out how to use your natural gas more efficiently. Right. But that's yeah. not the same as decarbonization. And decarbonization is talking about eliminating, I think, eliminating the use of fossil fuels. Right. So is that a, because there have been, you know, there's always a roadmap, you know, there have been climate roadmaps since 2002. Right. And, but they were all about improving efficiency. And now we're shifting over to talk about decarbonization. And so what's your definition of decarbonization? I mean, what, what should people think when they hear that word? Yeah, decarbonization is the, you know, uh, incremental mitigation of carbon emissions, which is related to but not the same as just energy efficiency which is you know how do we get more out of using the energy now why do we care about energy efficiency because it um minimizes our, our uh, carbon emissions uh, among other things um, but decarbonization specifically and when we're talking about in this context it's yeah how do we get to zero or or near zero um carbon footprint so and that would be typically across your carbon footprint is coming from uh, the burning of fossil fuels and that's what across Transportation, heating, and lighting, and just general electricity use, right? Everything, yeah. So we talk about, yeah, uh, different sectors. We talk about the power sector, that's electricity uh, in places. We talk about building sector, which might include um, heating, uh, cooking, um, some, you know, uh, other pieces. We talk about industrial. This is sort of a weird one, but, um, you know, the, the melding of metals might take some um oh, yeah. you know, fossil fuel um use uh transportation uh obviously so both cars and um public transit uh and the last one being uh waste um so you know which is a, a harder one but you know eventually we 
we get rid of our trash. Sometimes it's in a landfill and that slowly uh, emits or we burn it in an incinerator and that very quickly uh, emits carbon. Um, What's so- the, I guess uh, one question when we talk about a decarbonization plan for the municipality, does that include, you know, pr- people's cars that if we, you, that, that to be municipally decarbonized, you would have people driving electric vehicles by 2050. Is that a fair or, or does that not fold into what is considered a municipal plan? Yeah, so technically all they're talking about here is decarbonizing municipal operations. Okay. And uh, so that does not include household uh, emissions or household vehicle, you know, household building emissions or household uh, vehicle emissions. Now, if we're making a decarbonization plan, I would like to include all of them. Um, and, and make sure that we're talking, you know, thinking proactively about how we build our transportation sector around, um, you know, a, a decarbonized mm-hmm. uh, world. Um, but technically, for um, completion of the requirements, it's just about how do you phase out your municipal operations. Now, that might include, you know, it will include, you'll likely have a fleet of uh, vehicles that you'll need to uh, transition to electric vehicles. Um, you'll have, you know, obviously your your buildings. Um, you might have some industrial uses, you know, your sewage and wastewater and, and uh, you know, a lot of those are very, very energy intensive. And so um, right. Right. thinking proactively about both reducing um, energy demand in those places, making them more energy efficient, as well as transitioning them to um, electric or other mm-hmm. you know, decarbonized. Yeah, that was going to be a clarification question I was going to ask as well in terms of the scope, because by the choice of the word municipal, it seemed to be focused on the government operations, which to a certain extent, the government can control its operations. It obviously needs to prioritize and budget accordingly. Um, But to include kind of the community broadly in the municipal scope, then that gets a little bit more, you know, tenuous, you know, how, how, but Getting back to at least a municipal piece, which you've clarified, that at least sets the town up rightly to be, if we can do it, then theoretically, you should be able to do it too, uh, Mr. Businessman, Mr. Resident, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So, you know, taking the lead, literally in that case, um, and showing us the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good uh, plug. And and again, if I'm, if I'm doing this, I'm, I'm hopefully planning on how to decarbonize. Um, well, you know, just, I mean, the, the other concept I've seen is sort of the knock-on or ripple effects, right? If if there's a good example of the town building, you know, heat pumps into its new buildings, I mean, that becomes a zeitgeist and, every, and, and more people are likely to do it, right? And so I think, to Steve, your point, it's a good example, but it's also eases the transition for people who, for, because I think like, individual homes, which are not part of the, the municipal program. But, I mean, that's going to come from the state, and there are programs that are going to, that would have to come to support that kind of work. And if the town's doing it, as you sort of, that's the leading edge, and people would be more sympathetic to what the state would be doing. So it sort of offers hope uh, for individual people to be able to transition thoughtfully if the town is also doing it. So I think it's a great, great program. And not to get too far removed, but more than building up hope or examples it builds up uh, a workforce and companies and um yeah. you know people that know what to do right if they're mm-hmm. doing it here then it makes it a lot easier 
to do it at the town uh, at the building next to it. Um, you know, yeah, all that other, soon enough, you forget yeah. that there was a time we didn't all know how to yeah. do this. All that other ancillary infrastructure, both physical and process oriented, supply stream oriented, all of that plays together for sure. I recall in the prior FinCom meeting, our facilities director uh, was almost bemoaning that, you know, from an electrical perspective, we're as solar generated as we can. There's almost not any more opportunities for us to get solar from a town level. We've already got credits with National Grid, respectively, that we probably can't utilize all right away. So, mm-hmm. okay, that on the one hand is a good status. Now we need to focus on the other pieces of the puzzle to start bringing them along. Um, and I think that's where some of this effort will come into play. Yeah. It, it, what you point out there is that often when you think of eliminating um, or, or decarbonize a building, you think of like on-site uh, renewables, you know, where like there's there's solar on the uh, building top that might not make sense for everyone. And in the cases where that doesn't make sense, then you're doing power purchase agreements from other places, or you're buying into a community solar project, or you're you know building a, a small um, solar array, or you know, wind turbine, if, if you so choose, um, mm-hmm. off-site. Um, that, that is equivalent to the electricity use. And I yeah. think that sets you up for one more, if I was tracking along. So that's that's uh we just got to four. The fourth one was creating a municipal decarbonization roadmap. And for our Franklin listeners, um, the first step to creating a roadmap to decarbonizing is calculating your current emissions. Uh, I worked with um, uh, last year. I worked with a team of Franklin High School uh, green team uh, students, and we calculated um, Franklin's emissions, not only our municipal operation emissions. Um, but our uh, total emissions across households and cars. And it was a really, really cool uh, project um, that I, I would love to uh, build upon and, and uh, expand. So we started, that can be done, you know, that the first step is, is, is calculating. Okay, so, so far we've got uh, be a good uh, green community, have a local body, uh, eliminate on-site fossil fuel use, create a uh, roadmap to decarbonizing uh, municipal operations, Fifth one is adopt a zero emission vehicle first policy, all related and all going to be part of the municipal decarbonization roadmap. But what this one specifically refers to is that if a electric version of a vehicle is available and commercially viable, then you will purchase the electric uh, version instead of um, a non-electric version. So uh, we're not currently yet at... um, widely available electric backhoes um <laughs> but if when if and when we get there uh, making those purchase but for now um you know not purchasing you know as your building inspector drives around to check on different buildings um we should be uh right. putting him in an electric vehicle interesting yep yeah, i think economically the town over time has expanded and i want to say they're up to six or seven electric vehicles slash hybrids um, in that. But yeah, to your point, some of the specific ones, we don't see a fire truck coming down the pipe just yet or, you know, a backhoe. But at some point in time, you know, that that will happen. We're starting to see, you know, snowblowers and lawnmowers becoming electric. So 
at that smaller level, that may be an opportunity for us as well. Yeah. So to me, that's an easy one. You know, if it's available, we'll buy it. Great. And I think the key phrasing of the wording one, if it's available and then economically feasible. So you're not saying just go out and spend money. If it doesn't make commercial sense to do so, then, you know, we'll just be patient. But at least we'll have the mindset to do that analysis and then make the purchase when it is available and it meets those criteria. Yeah, it's, it's Zev first, not Zev only. Right. Uh, okay, so that was five. And then your sixth one is adopt a specialized opt-in building code. So you laid the groundwork for this conversation. This might end up being the biggest piece in any municipality. I would imagine it'll be the biggest conversation piece um, in Franklin. So uh, we talked about in passing uh, the 2008 uh, Green Communities Act was we we already had a building code. All buildings in Massachusetts need to be up to this code, and that includes some energy efficiency measures. Just, just, just to, I mean, the building code is like how wide the steps are going to be. What's the rise or yeah. the run of your steps? How many windows you need in a room? How many Absolutely. electrical outlets you need in a room? That's the building code. That's what gives you the building. And included in that is was the energy efficiency of the building itself, or, or how how much insulation there was, essentially, right? Yeah. Precisely, yeah, and then that's measured in certain ratings um, that that you had to meet or or, or uh, building design standards. So we have the baseline that still exists uh, statewide. Then we added um, in the in two thousand eight, we added a uh, a stretch energy code, which is the same code except um, with stronger energy efficiency. Uh, requirements. It's stricter uh, building requirements around, yeah, insulation, windows, um, heating, and, and all of that. Um, that if you're in a green community, you've already adopted that stretch energy code, um, and and most have. Again, we're talking 290 communities, um, but that was typically the hardest hurdle for green communities um, to adopt. But now we're just there, right? It's just a it's just a building code that that makes sense. And Kobe, the, the, why was it hard? Just briefly, you know, 25 words or less. Why was it hard to adopt the building code? <laughs> Who didn't like it? Yeah. Builders get nervous uh, that advanced energy efficiency requirements involve more upfront costs, and they warn that it'll lead to fewer buildings being built. Um, I would say that did not turn out to be true because the demand for buildings in Massachusetts far outweighs the uh, upfront building costs. And we know that uh, a more energy efficient building um, costs less to run over time and makes its money back within a few years. Um, And that turned out to be true. And soon all municipalities had adopted the stretch energy code. So now we have the the baseline energy code. We've got the stretch energy code. 2020 uh, roadmap bill gets passed by the Massachusetts uh, legislature, and that adds a specialized opt-in stretch energy code. We got the base energy code. We got the stretch energy code. And now we empowered the Department of Energy Resources to go out and create an even more aggressive specialized opt-in code. That's in line with our net zero 
uh, by 2050 goals. And um, that's what's being asked to be uh, adopted if you want to be a climate leader uh, community. Very, very similar to the uh, stretch energy code conversation. There was a whole bunch of warnings that this will lead to um, fewer buildings being built and it'll cost so much up front. Um, Department of Energy Resources actually went out, did a, an independent you know, third party study around how much it'll cost to build buildings up to the specialized stretch energy code. And in almost all cases, it cost uh, no significant amount more to build it uh, by the specialized uh, stretch energy code um, than it, it, other ways. So it's already cost effective for most building types. And in a few building types, it made its money back within like five years. Um, and, and I'd be happy to, to shoot over uh, that study. So already sort of getting ahead of those arguments that um, this will lead to a whole bunch of fewer um, buildings to be built. But, you know, I would anticipate that in Franklin and, and in other communities, there will still be that gut reaction, um, especially from people who, um, you know, change is scary. It's not the way that they do things. You know, many of these uh, companies have been in building, they've been building buildings forever. And um, it's a lot easier to just do the thing that you know than have to uh, adopt something. And so you start uh, making an argument about how how hard it'll be to build and how no one nothing will ever happen, and then all of a sudden we start building them and uh, nothing it happens. Out that hard. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's it's interesting. I mean that the 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 specialized opt in code is a funny. I mean the, the words are, are matter there because yeah. it's an opt in. You're choosing to do it, right? The town would choose to have this, and I think again, Kobe, correct me if I'm wrong. That specialized code, one of the things in it is that. By and large, it's intended to promote not having any natural gas in new buildings. And if memory serves, the specialized code, there's yeah. some wiggly ways you can put in natural gas, blah, blah, blah. But basically, the idea is that a new building would be essentially using heat pumps to heat it. It would have an induction stove to cook with. It would have a, uh, you know, a, uh, a, uh, heat pump, hot water heater, and clothes dryer, it wouldn't need any natural gas. And, th and that's where the decarbonization comes in. Is that fair to say? Is that a fair characterization of the specialized code? Yeah, that, that's it. So it, again, it's in line with our the, the word that the legislature uh, had to use or you know, roughly translated was it has to be in line with our 2050 uh, goals. And so what they interpreted that to be was it all but eliminates fossil fuel use. And if you have fossil fuel use, it must be hybrid and it must be offset by um, other on-site generation. Um, and then there are a few exceptions, right? There are a few particularly energy um, intensive industries mm -hmm. around, um, you know, healthcare and, um, you know, big yeah. manufacturing. There are a few uh, exceptions to um, that, but for most building use, it's either zero fossil fuels or minimal fossil fuels offset by some other on-site. Now, that was controversial, and we could talk about where yeah, that Yeah, but, it, went, but the but. point being that the specialized yeah. code is, is in a sense, a change uh, sort of codifies, to use, that, to use the code word there, basically 
says, yeah, new buildings should have heat pumps in them. And so yeah. as we're built in, in here in Franklin, you would see new houses and new buildings because that's what the building code calls for. And that's a good thing. And I think to echo your point, I mean, the, the cost of heat pumps is coming down. They're competitive. If in fact you get paid back, I mean, running a building, if you buy a house for 30 years, you just rely on the, the sun, right? I mean, it's not, uh, the, the fuel is pretty cheap. And so, there were good things about this opt-in code that uh, that recommend it as as a good way to go into the future. You know, uh, I mean, it's the best path forward. Right? So, yeah, yeah. And if you want to, if you want to talk about, I mean, co-benefits of you know getting off fossil fuels, uh, you have more uh, cost stability, right? Uh, right now, when your natural gas is um, a, a commodity that is uh, whose price is influenced by global happenings. So when a dictator in Russia chooses to take over uh, a neighboring country, that shoots up the cost of your natural gas. Or, or when um, our, our friends in, in Saudi Arabia um, choose that they want to uh, shoot up the price, then um, they have some some impacts. And so this, you know, um, creates better price stability. It also takes off co-pollutants, more and more uh, data coming out about how harmful. Um, we talk a lot about carbon emissions, but there are other emissions that come from burning uh, fossil fuels that happen locally and have local public health impacts. And um, when those are in schools and they're impacting your kids' uh, performance on on tests yeah. and, um, you know, they, they lead to asthma and, and a whole bunch of uh, different. So, that, yeah, lots of um, uh, co-benefits beyond just uh, decarbonizing um, our buildings. So, so, so you've laid out six sort of things that's that the town that's six. six. Those are the six things town can do. Can do it. Then none of them seem that there are there are more decisions that now that we've reviewed it more decisions than actually outlaying of money. If the town goes and does these things, makes a decarbonization plan, adopts a specialized opt-in code, what what's the benefit? I mean, why would the town want to do that? What does that give you? Other than bragging rights, <laughs> yeah, and then bragging rights should be good enough. But um, it, it, it uh, luckily the state has um, put some money aside to uh, encourage communities to do this. So similar to green communities, um, if you're a green community, you get uh, eligibility to this pile of money, and then you submit uh, projects, and they have a whole bunch of uh, criteria. So. Um, I'll quickly read off some of them. Studying, designing, constructing, implementing energy efficiency activities, uh, procuring energy management services, adopting energy efficiency policies, uh, citing activities related to renewable energy generating facilities. All of these are eligible expenses uh, from grants. So basically, if you have certain projects you want to take on, you can apply to uh, the state and be eligible to for this pot of money mm -hmm. um, to, mm -hmm. to come to your community. What happened with green communities is, you know, those that acted first um, for for a few years, there were only so many communities that were green communities. And so they were, um, you know, the uh, taking their share of a pot and benefited greatly from being um, an early mover on being a green community. Because by the time we came around, we're already close to 80 percent of communities are in. We're fighting for a little larger pot because they, they grew it over time. But still, not that much larger of a pot where you have way more communities fighting for, and it's just a lot harder to actually um, 
bring money back to your municipality. I think you know those that are early movers once again uh, will be rewarded from um, being able to sort of claw away a larger share uh, of the pot before pretty soon we're all uh, climbing theater communities. And and that kind of money would allow the town to implement some of the the commitments it made, presumably, right? I mean, you could you. Procuring energy management services, that's probably a big ticket item, right? I mean, and that means how do you, well, tell me, tell me what it means, but I think it means how do you think about the way the school energy budget is being run? Not the, I don't want to say the actual usage of electricity in a building and how it relates to the demand on the grid and all kinds of issues that are fairly complex, right? Yeah, so this this could be uh, energy management could be uh, hiring uh, someone to check on your building's energy efficiency and make uh, improvements. Um, it could be eventually getting really smart devices that are um, doing that pretty automatically through the cloud and and mm-hmm. um, and uh, hopefully eventually through um, artificial intelligence and then um, you know recognizing you know energy use and and um, cutting back on on energy use. Uh, on its own um, we also you know have uh, most municipalities uh, procure uh not more uh, a lot of municipalities procure energy um either through a power purchase agreement or they cover municipal operations and uh, sorry town-wide operations through um called a few different things but a municipal aggregation uh, energy aggregation program um that might be an energy manager who mm-hmm. goes out and finds the best deal to um, both get greener energy and at a reduced price than your mm-hmm. basic service. And um, everyone in town gets to to benefit from that. They so choose. So, and as Franklin is a municipal aggregation uh, contract, uh, I know our town administrator had talked of the hours he had spent with the consulting at the time as our current contract expired and he was working through a new contract. So I believe the while our contract price went up slightly, it did go only for a two-year ter- term um, because of some of the uncertainties in the market that we've talked about with the kind of the global impacts that he chose a two-year term versus a three-year term, anticipating that over the next two years, uh, the electric market will come down more so that it will be able to get a longer term at a better price at that point. So that's an example. But the other point for certainly the residents and listeners and taxpayers Franklin specific, but I would anticipate since a number of the uh, grants uh, require multiple check boxes, if you will. So we're a green community, then we become a green leadership community, et cetera. Um, we're benefiting from those in uh, at least, for example, the current sto- uh, Beaver Street interceptor. If I recall correctly, there were two or three check boxes that got us a 1% loan through a state funding agency because we met the community housing, we met the green communities, you know, those kind of check boxes have real dollar impacts going forward, not just a grant for doing this, but for doing something else, we're still getting benefits from it. Um, that, that particular project is what, $30 million price tag, 1% versus 4%. <laughs> Yeah. That, that adds up fairly quickly. Yeah, what what a what a great uh, addition! Yeah, because we think most immediately about the program block that you're into. But one of the things that the legislature loves to do is um, how do we decide who gets this money? 
well, we already have some checklists and some certification schemes. And so they'll say, you know, and this happens a few times. There's, there's housing choice communities there's, um, and green communities uh, is, is often one of them. Um, and so you, we don't know what this will make us eligible for uh, eventually, but I'm sure it won't be um, just the immediate pot of money. So, so Kobe, tell me, what, I think we can switch to, uh, shall I say, politics at this point. I mean, this is this is something, how, how, what do you think that, first of all, what can people in Franklin do to support the kind of things that you're t- asking about? And I guess to people who are not in Franklin, I mean, what's the, what's the object lesson? I mean, what can be learned by observing what happens in Franklin, right? So tell me, what, what's the next steps in, I mean, what kinds of stuff have to be done in order to get, the community climate leadership, climate leader community status? I mean, what are you thinking about doing? Yeah. So in Franklin, we, uh, our process is at the beginning of our two-year term, um, we agree on a list of goals and then we actually hold town administration accountable uh, to meeting those goals uh, over uh, the two years. Now, these are pretty loose goals for the most part, uh, but they, you know, it's, we want to sh- say that you're working uh, we want to see that you're working through these, that we're planning our meetings around getting some of these uh, items complete. Well, that meeting uh, to set the goals and agree on the goals is January 3rd. Uh, so if you're a Franklin resident, I would say show up on, on January 3rd when it's an agenda item. Uh, express your support for any goal that you um, feel uh, should be added um, or should be uh, kept on the um, first draft of a list. Um, and I will tell you that I am planning on, on advocating, if it's not already included, advocating for the addition of this language. And so you'll be able to uh, support um, what I say. If you're not in Franklin, uh, similar thing. Maybe you already have um, a, a climate advocate uh, on your local uh, leadership um, board or, or, you know, as your town manager or city manager. Um, and if so, I would go to them and, and ask them um, what they think and and uh, how you can support. And if you don't, uh, bring this to uh, your leaders, bring this program to your leaders, make sure that they're uh, aware of it um, and advocate for just continuing to check off uh, some of these things. I don't know if Franklin can complete uh, all six of these in the next two years, um, but we can certainly uh, complete some of them. And, and to me, that's that's what I'm going to be uh, advocating for uh, in our municipality. So, so, so January third is an opportunity for people to, in, particularly in Franklin, to go to a meeting and would have an opportunity to speak, right? To to talk to the the council, the town council, and say that you. Well, that's a great, a great, and I think that's a great uh, sort of baptism for people who care and have not, you know, may not see themselves as activists, but to go and, you know, make a polite, short thing saying, hey, I support what Kobe's doing. Please, please follow his lead. I mean, that's a great way to get your feet wet if you uh, happen to be in Franklin. And if you're not in Franklin, as you say, ask a question, right? That's the, that's the, yeah. the there's great power in asking a question because it makes, it makes the people that are listening to the question think. So that's great. That's yeah. Great. yeah. I, I would say that if you live in a in a particularly a suburban community like Franklin, the default is the status quo, and um, leadership will um, it, it not look to make uh, to to rattle the cage. 
um, unless they feel like they're being watched and there's some pressure and there's some public support uh, behind certain activities. And so, uh, especially in a community uh, that's pretty quiet where people aren't, um, you know, there isn't a long line of citizen comments and things like that. It only takes a few people uh, to speak up and, and express support uh, for a certain item um, to, you know, uh, convince a few leaders um, that it's something worth paying attention to. And so um, that's I would great. say that's great. it's yeah, worth I would add that if, if it doesn't all get completed on that first meeting, January 3rd, there's likely going to be at least a second meeting of the town council to yeah. review whatever was amended at the first <laughs> listing draft um, <laughs> before its approval. But then it's still not done. Uh, likely, and what has generally happened is a number of those items then are worked by the various departments, um, but also in some cases by various subcommittees of the town council. The economic development subcommittee certainly would fit in nicely in some of these categories. So just follow along for the meeting agendas, either participate then. Um, your voice is needed all the time, not just once. Keep reminding folks out there that, oh, yes, it's not just important for the one. It's important and it needs to get done and just keep showing up. Um, and that'll really make a difference as things go forward. Emails, calls, showing up at meetings, all of this matters. And it matters even more at the local level uh, than it does at the at the national or state level. Yeah. Your, your voice matters. I, I, I will say, if you're if you're in Franklin um, and you're interested in being even more involved or connecting with other people that are really involved, we happen to have um, a node of 350 Mass, which is one of the partner organizations of MCAN, uh, I believe. Um, and so we, there's a Franklin node of 350 Mass that you can find uh, online, and they've actually created um, another brand and the people specifically talking about Franklin. Um, called Energize Franklin. If you go to Energize Franklin uh, online, you can find um, some of your neighbors and, and fellow climate advocates um, talking through some actions that you can take um, at the personal level uh, to decarbonize your life. Well, that's yeah, fantastic. Right. This has been a fascinating discussion, Kobe. I really appreciate your leading us through this because it, it can be opaque. And I think anybody who's listened to this is probably a much clearer idea of what's, what, what's at stake here, what, what you we're trying to do. So that's great. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to come on. Thank you. This was fun. I, I feel like uh, anytime I talk to you guys, I feel like I'm uh, meeting celebrities. You know, I'm used to hearing <laughs> these voices in my ear. So I'm happy to be here. I get to respond to them now. That was good. And Steve, thank you very much for being here. And uh, I want to, uh, so uh, we'll put this this up in time for the January 3rd meeting uh, and the fallout. And I really, again, thank you very much for both of you for being here. And we'll say uh, goodbye to everyone until next time. All right. So take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Very cool. <laughs>